Hi, welcome to Go Ahead, Write Something, the podcast for writers who want motivation, the nitty gritty and more gritty about getting published and how to find joy in writing your stories and sharing them with the world. I'm Tessa Smith-McGovern, author and instructor on Zoom for the Writing Institute, Sarah Lawrence College, as well as two free weekly writing sprints for the Westport Library's Westport Writes program. And I'm Patricia Dunn, a.k.a. T.M. Dunn. I've been teaching writers for over 20 years, and today our guest is Tessa Wigert. Tessa Wigert is the author of a popular Shanna Merchant novels, which include Death in the Family, The Dead Season, Dead Wind, and Kind to Kill. A former digital media strategist and freelance journalist, Tessa has contributed to such publications as Forbes, the Huffington Post, The Economist, and The Globe and Mail. I met Tessa. She is also co-president of Sisters in Crime in Connecticut. So welcome, Tessa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here to chat with you today. We're thrilled to have you. And we're very thrilled to hear all about the journey that you've gone through with your writing and the the Shana series and... You know, and I am terrible at pronouncing names, as everybody knows. So correct any of my pronunciations. I mean, Tessa has the English accent. I just have the bad pronunciation. <laughs> no, Shana is correct. Um, yeah, so the Shana Merchant series, uh, I'm now just about to release the fourth book of that. And there will be a fifth book I can share coming next year, uh, most likely December of 2023. So that's very exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, I'm happy to just launch into my experience yes, with the process you. of it. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, it was, it was a long journey actually to get to this point. So I started writing fiction at a very young age with short stories and poetry as a child and entered a bunch of contests with the local newspapers. And it never really occurred to me to try to write a novel because I didn't ever have an idea that I felt had the legs to be able to support, you know, that length of a story. Um, until I had two young children. And when my son was about nine months old and my daughter was about two, and I was still freelancing as a journalist from home part-time, I really suddenly felt like I needed some kind of creative outlet, some kind of project just for me to focus on, you know, to just kind of separate a little bit my work life and my creative self from the, the motherhood experience. And I came up with an idea for a a bio thriller, kind of in the vein of Michael Crichton. And I wrote that. And that ended up being the book that got me my literary agent, whom I'm still with today. Mm -hmm. Um, But that book didn't sell. And I ended up writing a second book in what I intended to be a series. And that book didn't sell either because, of course, if the first book doesn't sell, there's not (laughs) much market for the second book. (laughs) But I was excited about the series. So I just kind of embraced it and kept on going with it. And now I think of those books as my practice books. That was so important for me to go through that process and work with my agent and then you know, find people to critique it. Was, and were you in workshops at the time I with was, other writers? Yep, and- I did some. I was living in Chicago at the time. I did some writers' workshops um, and then really just tried to hone my skills and learn more about the craft of thriller writing because it's a very, you know, every genre has its thing, right? And there's a structure that is inherent to each individual genre. And for thrillers and mysteries, I really needed to understand that. So the other thing I did was just read as many mysteries and thrillers that I thought were similar to what I wanted to be writing as I possibly could. And then eventually that just, I think by osmosis, I started to understand inherently what how to structure a book like that. And my writing just over time got better. And a few years later, I had a kind of 
um, you know, come to Jesus moment with my agent where she said, look, I just don't think there's a market for these types of books right now. They were big in the 90s. I know you love to write these types of thrillers, but is there anything else that you would like to try? And I said, I've always wanted to write a mystery because that's always been my favorite genre to read. And I had this idea for a locked room mystery, a contemporary updated take on um, kind of along the lines of And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. And I had spent a lot of time in the Thousand Islands of upstate New York because my parents-in-law had a place there and they, you know, had this small island where it was just their home on this island. And I thought, what a perfect remote location for a locked room mystery. So I said to my agent, let me just give this a try and see what happens. And I wrote that book in about 18 months and it sold and not only did it sell very quickly, but my editor, the acquiring editor asked if I wanted to make it into a series. So then all of a sudden it was a series. I went from, you know, almost 10 years of writing thrillers that really weren't going anywhere to having this two book deal and then I had two books come out in 2020, and now I have two books out in 2022 as well. Oh, congratulations. Congra- Thank That's you. fabulous. Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. For those of our listeners who, I often get the question, what is the difference between a thriller and a mystery? Yeah, um, that is a very good question. I think more than anything else, it has to do with pacing. Um you know, a mystery, definitely a lot of the thrillers that I read and definitely the, the, the books in my own series have a lot of, um, you know, classical mystery components to them where you really, you know, there is something being withheld from the reader right from the get-go and you really have to puzzle it out as a reader. But, um, but then what makes it a thriller as well or what gives it kind of a, a thriller feel is is really about the pacing and it's that page turner quality i think so i try um you know i'm very conscious of of trying to make my mysteries less of a slow burn mystery because i think readers these days really like a mystery that is a, is more of a page turner so i just try to kind of front load it with a lot of action and really i'm conscious of making sure that I'm uh, ending the chapters on a really suspenseful note to give people a reason to want to continue reading. And I still try to withhold a little something and there is still a big reveal at the end, but I also try to incorporate a twist into every book, which is also really um, standard for a lot of thrillers. And I think what a lot of thriller, thriller readers are looking for from the experience. And what is a locked room? So locked room or sometimes known as a closed circle mystery, it's really a situation where the protagonist finds themselves um, stuck to some extent with a group of people, all of whom are suspects in the crime. Mm -hmm. And very often there's also a sleuth in my case. Yep, exactly. Or, you know, a Poirot type of character. In my case, Shana Merchant is this, she's a, Um, She's a senior investigator in the Thousand Islands in upstate New York. Um, Just to give a little background on the series, she was an NYPD detective before moving upstate with her fiance. She had a traumatic experience, an abduction experience in New York involving this serial killer that she had been kind of hunting down. And then to uh, find some peace and quiet in her life and to kind of recover from the PTSD of that experience, she moved to upstate New York. But then, of course, as is the way in mysteries and thrillers, when she got there, she discovered, yeah, more murder, (laughs) even though it's a small town, lots of crime still going on. 
Um, so that's where the series takes place. And so every book uh, plunges her into a new mystery and a new crime. But there's this thread, there's this um, continuous subplot as well involving the man who abducted her, the serial killer that she had been hunting, who over time you learn uh, has a very personal history with her. He's someone from her past. Uh-huh. So yeah. um, so with Death in the Family, that is really out of, out of all the books in the series, that's the one that's a true locked mystery with a close circle of suspects. And that's really because it takes place on this island yeah. and Shana Merchant is there <laughs> with um, the family that owns the island and their son is missing. Uh, he's an heir to the fortune of the, you know, the family fortune in this property and he's gone missing and she turns up there with her new partner with the New York State Police um, trying to determine what happens and there's a storm and they're stranded there and the power goes out and when I started writing it, I really wanted it to have all of those tropes to some extent, mm-hmm. but but the tropes that are the ones that really resonate with mystery readers, they're the things that I love most about the mystery experience, the kind of mystery that you want to curl up in front of a fire mm-hmm. with on a rainy, foggy yeah. day. You know, that's the experience that I wanted to give to readers with the first book. That's yeah, wonderful. Well, I love serial killers, as people know. Um, so does a serial killer show up in all of the books in some way? Yes, yeah. yes. So um, kind of uh, tangentially in the first book. And then as the series goes on, he becomes a very big part of it. Um, the third book that came out earlier this year in April called Dead Wind, it, there's kind of a moment of reckoning between the two of them. And then something occurs that then throws Shayna into kind of the aftermath of this experience with him in the new book that's coming out, The Kind to Kill. So you learn more about her background with him and her history with him as the series goes on. Um, and yeah, I mean, what was, yeah, what was interesting about it was I had to get into his head a little bit too, to write the scenes from their past, which crop up in every one of the books. So that was from his point of view or from her point of view, but just to, you know, to give the reader a sense of how he became the person that he did because he wasn't always so disturbed. So you learn more about what he was like as a child when she knew him Mm. and then what were the aspects of his life? What were the situations and experiences that made him who he is today? Mm-hmm. And how about um, her character change, um, either in the book or over the course of the series? How, how is that working? Yeah, um, it's it's been interesting to write because I just don't really know how many books there will be in the series. Even to this point, there may be more. It all depends on the reception and, you know, my publisher's plans for the series. So uh, initially, well, wonderful books. So everybody oh, was going to want to buy them all. <laughs> I hope so. I hope people enjoy them. Um, with the first one, it was a two book deal. So going into that, I knew that the second book had to be more about her past and her history with the serial killer, whose name is Blake Bram. Um, and then after that, I did start to focus a little bit more on her her character arc, which. Definitely there are changes you'll see in the first book too, because she comes into the first book with a lot of residual trauma from the Mm -hmm. abduction experience and and actual PTSD that affects the way she approaches the investigation on the island and and really affects her ability to do her job. But she has a partner who really helps her manage it and kind of becomes her wingman and her steady foil. And their relationship evolves and changes over the, you know, the rest of the books in the series too. But the trickiest part of all of that, and I think this is going to be the, you know, the case for all writers 
writing a series is you have to be conscious of that and cognizant of, of how the character grows from one book to the next, even if you don't know where they ultimately will end up. Mm-hmm. I, I always tell authors who are trying to write a series or a mid-series just to make sure that every book ends in a place where that could be the the end point of the series, so just in alone. case they could all stand alone, just in case that is the last book in the series, because it would be horrible, you know, to leave readers. Readers may still be left wanting more. Hopefully that's always mm-hmm. the goal with every book in a series, but at least they wouldn't be left with a lot of loose ends. Mm-hmm. And um, for the emerging writers who are reading this, so over 10 years, how did you keep the faith? How did you keep writing? How did your agent keep communicating with you when <laughs> things yeah. weren't selling? It's definitely difficult. It's, uh, as you both know, I'm sure, a lot of it is just a waiting game. You know, mm-hmm. you put out, and you're in such a vulnerable position as a, as a new author too. Um, and I would put out these queries and, you know, get so often very positive feedback, but rejections. And I think the key is to just not take it personally. It's a business. And really what editors are looking for is a marketable book. And, you know, your writing can be absolutely fantastic and your concept can be amazing. But if they don't feel they can sell it for one reason or another, it's just not going to hit for you at that point. And the, and the tricky thing is, you know, separating that from not taking that as uh, an affront, you know, as mm-hmm, for, for you personally as an as a writer, because probably all that means is that you need to make some tweaks and just do a little more research on what's happening in the market right now and what type of books are selling and make a few changes. And often that is the point at which, I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard from author friends who said, I wrote this book. I thought it was perfect for the market. I started to get this feedback that the ending was just a little gimmicky and overdone because it had a lot of books had come out recently with a similar Mm -hmm. ending. Mm -hmm. They, you know, these authors rewrite the ending and then the book sells and it's a huge hit. So sometimes you just have to make a small tweak and just keep the faith that at one point or another, if you continue to hone your craft, then you'll get there. So there's an interesting question. I often hear people say, oh, I sent to one or two agents and they didn't like the book. And so they either don't think they should send out again or they feel like the book isn't worth it. I mean, at what point does a writer actually should question their work in a sense and and not take it maybe personally, but actually look at the work before they feel like they should, you know, give up? in a sense, yeah. or should they give up? Yeah, good question. Um, I would say the key is to really find as many types of readers as possible to take a look at it. So, you know, re- friends who you know read within that genre and and people who have more of a professional point of view, maybe someone, you know, who you meet in a writer's workshop who also, maybe you can find someone who's done some freelance editing work, or maybe you can connect with a published author somehow and see if they'll be willing to take a look at it. Somebody who has, um, you know, not only to get the reader's point of view, but somebody too who has more professional experience Mm -hmm. that can maybe say, well, all you need to do is make a few little changes or here's what I would recommend. Um, and that's something that I think is important for authors at all stage of their stages of their careers too. I'm working on a standalone thriller right now that's not under contract that I plan to go out with on submission in a few months. And I really hit a wall with it. I wasn't sure where to take it. I had a call yesterday with an author friend 
And she just helped me kind of brainstorm and workshop some ideas for a different ending. And now I'm moving forward with that different ending. And so I think really just trying to get feedback from as many people as possible, because everyone will have a a point of view. And of course, it's very subjective. We all like different types of books. But if you can get that kind of critical mass of a number of people who all have a different experience with with books and with reading and with the publishing industry saying, oh, I think you're ready. That's the point at which, you know, you probably should be going out on submission. And are these people that you met in writing workshops or that you've met since you've published? Um, mostly since I've published and some people, a lot of them really I've met through writing communities like Sisters in Crime, like international thriller writers, uh, like Mystery Writers of America. And all of those organizations are not only open to published authors, but, but aspiring authors as well. So that's a great place to meet people and, and, you know, obviously go to as many conferences as possible. That's been, that's been huge. I did a lot of that when I was living in Chicago before moving to Connecticut, before I was published. I went to as many writers conferences as I possibly could. And I met a lot of people there who I still am in contact with now, um, both people who critiqued my work and then published authors who then I was able to go to later once I was published and ask if they would blurb my book, mm-hmm. you know, just try to network as much as possible because you certainly don't have to wait until you're published and you probably shouldn't wait until you're published because, yeah, there are opportunities right now for for unpublished authors. So you co-founded Sisters in Crime in Connecticut. It sounds like with all you're doing, where did you find the time? And, um, with <laughs> you know, there is Sisters in Crime in New York and it's international. So did, why did you and um, feel like there's a need to have one in Connecticut, which I think yeah. is a wonderful organization that, you know, I've recently joined and I think you do so much for Oh, well, people well thank joining. you. So do you. You do a lot for the organization as well, which is fantastic. Well, that's what I was going for, the company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but really, it's such a sense of community. And I had been a member of Sisters in Crime National for a lot of years and also some of the local chapters, like you mentioned, New England and New York. And uh, it was brought to my attention and to the attention of, of the other co-founder and co-president, Elise Hart Kipnis, that there wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything really nearby to where we lived in Connecticut. It was difficult. I had been finding it difficult to get to meetings in, in New England usually has their meetings in Boston. And even to get into the city sometimes was difficult. So we did a little research and found that we're, there were a lot of writers, both published and unpublished in Connecticut, across Connecticut, who were really looking for that sense of community, but couldn't make it to these other meetings either. So we decided to we spearheaded it, but it's really just all about the volunteers. And then we have so many writers who volunteer their time and, you know, dedicate themselves to putting together these amazing events with panels of local authors at libraries all over the state. So it's really been wonderful. And the the reaction has been great. We only launched around April and we have, I think, around 60 members so oh, far. Wonderful. And how can people get involved? Um, you could go to the website, which is sistersincrimect.com, and there's a lot of information about how to join. It's very inexpensive to join, and then once you're a member, you get emails and newsletter information about um, upcoming events and social opportunities, you know, places and, and ways to meet other authors that are members as well. Um, and then we also try to just get other kind of writing-related craft or marketing-related information and workshops in front of them, often from other organizations in the area as well, or just other opportunities. So it's just a good place to go to have access to that type of information. 
That's wonderful. And they do have write-ins on Tuesdays and Thursdays for free, where yes. the writers can come together on Zoom. Yes, Pat hosts and them, write. and they're fantastic. <laughs> and I'm half asleep when I do it, but, <laughs> but it's nice to have that company. Yeah, it's wonderful, yeah. So your book that's coming out, yes. um, when is it coming out? Could you tell our readers? Sure, it's coming out December 6th. It's called The Kind to Kill. Um, and it is also set in, in actually Alexandria Bay, which is a small real-life town, a community in upstate New York, right um, on the St. Lawrence River, right where the border of uh, New York State meets Ontario, Canada. And it takes place over the course of a local street festival that actually does happen in the area called Pirate Days, celebrating this 19th century river pirate who was very famous and beloved <laughs> in the area. Um, so that was fun to write because I, I you know, I, of course I had to go there and do some research <laughs> on the festival yeah. and I spend a lot of time there every summer anyway in the Thousand Islands. So the research aspect of it is always easy for me, but I had fun with this one because this was a book that I thought, I really thought I knew how it was going to end and who the killer would be. And about a week before my deadline, I really was struggling with it. I felt like maybe the killer was too predictable and it just was lacking a little bit of sparkle somehow. And I just on a whim decided to change the killer completely. And it's so much better that way. And I'm so happy that I took that approach. And And people who have read early copies of it have told me that they definitely didn't suspect the outcome <laughs> and the twist. So I'm glad about that. So it just goes to show, you know, the, the process of writing you may think you know exactly where you're going, but just, I mean, even if you outline, which I definitely do, especially because they're mysteries and thrillers and the, you know, the, the plots tend to be quite complex, I always think it's nice to leave yourself open mm -hmm. to change. To the magic. Exactly, because you just don't know where it's going to take you and you might discover something even better along the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You just have to trust your characters. Yes. Yeah. Very good, very good. Well, we wish you all the best with that. That is exciting, and people can come and get to know you and meet you at Sisters in Crime. Yes, yes. and they can order your book online. Uh, yes, any specific? Um, it's all of it's available for pre-order everywhere: bookshop.org, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's also available for pre-order from indie bookstores. So if you have a favorite indie bookstore. Um, you know, in the area, definitely you could go in and order that from them and it will be released on December 6th. Excellent. And you also want to buy the other books in the series as well. <laughs> and you, since the holidays are coming up, you want to buy the books for your friends and family. Yes. Great gifts. Oh, I should mention too that actually the third book, Dead Wind, is out in paperback on November 29th. So, okay, yeah. Sure. So anyone who wanted to buy the entire series for someone could actually get all three books as paperback and then the new book as a hardcover. That's another approach as well. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Tessa Weigart, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you to the Westport Library for hosting this podcast and for all those who are listening. This has been Go Ahead, Write Something. Remember, writing can be hard, but you don't have to do it alone. And we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you so much.